Well, years ago, uh, a friend of mine, he's, he now preaches in Kentucky once again, but uh, he was the youth minister of the congregation I used to be a part of uh, back in the 90s. And he had returned from a mission trip to Jamaica. He had taken, uh, I think, a couple of adults and then several teenagers, and they did a vacation Bible school just outside of Kingston, Jamaica. And uh, he got up one Sunday morning following that mission trip, and he says, Church, I've got to confess something to you. He said, It used to really get on my nerves when people would show up to class late. And, of course, he was speaking about... Uh, you know, at that time he was the youth minister, so he's teaching teenagers primarily. And he would, he would be frustrated because people weren't on time for class. And he talked about, you know, and then noticing that people would sometimes show up late for worship. And he says, you know, that, he said, that just got on my nerves. And he said, and then I go off to Jamaica. And he says, and I learned something about time. And, of course, if you know anything about uh, Jamaica and their culture... Uh, people often joke that those folks are on island time and they do not get in a hurry for anything and so people who have who uh, from our congregation that, that went down to Jamaica uh, for a week or so on a mission trip would come back and say boy even in the restaurants even at our hotel the servers don't get in any big hurry you know just because you want a, a drink refilled it's just uh, it, it's seems like a bigger, much bigger priority for you than it is for them. And, and he talked about how he would be teaching in Jamaica and people would just be rolling in late. Five minutes late, 10 minutes late, 20 minutes late, 30 minutes late. And of course, some of them may not have had cars. They may have had to walk to church that morning. And he said that it kind of reset his thinking that instead of... Uh, Instead of the idea that uh, I wish they would be on time, he was just so grateful that they were there. And uh, that is an attitude, I've, I've always remembered that, that's an attitude I've tried to adopt, is that uh, if you're here, you're here, and that's all that matters. That, that it's not a better late than never, it's a, if, when you're here, you're right on time. And that's the title of today's message, is Right on Time going to look today at someone that we might have thought because of his relationship with Jesus that, that he would have been one of the earliest converts. Uh, but yet uh, what we'll see today is that you know he decided to, to come to Christ uh, to be a follower of Christ uh, much later than, than some others. But that, uh, that in the end that didn't matter because his decision ultimately was right on time. I want to begin this morning in uh, Matthew chapter 13. And for those of you that have your Bibles at home, uh, if you want to be turning uh, to uh, Mark chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Mark 3 and 1 Corinthians 15, uh, are two scriptures that we're going to look at, uh, that, that we're going to read, read from, from the text. I've got some other references as well, and I want to begin with Matthew 13, 53 through 55. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. 
and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Now, that scripture uh, is, is that moment where Jesus is, is back in his hometown, Matthew 13. If you're familiar with that chapter of scripture, there are lots of parables. Jesus has been teaching one parable after another. And so he gets to this point and, uh, where he's been teaching the parables. And then Matthew tells us, and, and Mark and Luke do as well, that the, the people listening to him start asking, you know, where, where did he get this? Where did this come from? Have you ever been in a situation where, you know, you, you saw somebody grow up and then you see them as an adult and then all of a sudden out of nowhere they seem to have some kind of ability that just sort of shocks you, that just sort of surprises you, and you it's kind of like, well, where did this come from? And that's exactly what's going on here. And except the people are are not so much uh, simply appreciative of his ability, but they're questioning his authority. And they're saying, wait a second, you know, where does where does he get off teaching like this? You know, we, we watched him grow up, we, we know this guy. You know, we know his mother. His mother, that's Mary's boy. We, we know him. We, we know his brothers. And the first one of those brothers they name is James. And that's, I mentioned that because we're going to come back to that uh, a little bit later. But then I want us to look at Mark chapter 3 because you might think that, that the family is proud. Is saying, man, look at this fine preacher that raised up out of our family. I've said many times, one of my regrets in life is that my father has, you know, did not live long enough to ever hear me preach. I didn't go into ministry until I was 40 years old. And uh, my father died when I was in my late 20s. And so I know that uh, even though it's about a two and a half hour drive uh, from where he would still be living, uh, that there, there are many Sundays that he would have made the drive to come hear his son preach. And uh, I'm confident of that. But Jesus' family didn't quite react that way. And so we look at Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Now, it's only Mark's gospel, I think, that records these couple of verses. And I appreciate that insight that Mark gives us. That they wanted to, don't miss it, folks. They wanted to take charge of him. It's like, who does he think he is? He is just embarrassing the stew out of us. And, and they thought that he was, it's right here, that he is out of his mind. And this idea that Jesus is actually embarrassing his family, uh, that, that is something that just, that, that just uh, kind of baffles me. Uh, but then we look over, in John chapter 5, uh, excuse me, 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read the first seven verses of, uh, of that section of Paul's letter to the folks in Corinth. Uh, because Paul here is, is defining the gospel. And, uh, and then he also gives James uh, a mention in this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And so we know this James is not one of the James that were apostles. There were, there were two James that were apostles. And so by, by the way Paul mentions it here, he said to James and then to the apostles, we know that this is James, the brother of Jesus. And so uh, most likely the oldest brother, because he's mentioned first in that section uh, where, where Jesus' brothers are named off. And so, uh, and so uh, we see right here that after Jesus rose from the grave after he walked out of the tomb. We just celebrated that last week. Although, that's something we should be celebrating every single day of our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, that Easter, yes, we call it Resurrection Sunday and we celebrate it uh, one Sunday uh, out of the year is that we set aside to especially uh, talk about the resurrection. But let's never forget not one second of one day of the rest of our lives that we serve a living God. Uh, you know, we should reflect that in our attitude. We should reflect that when we sing His name, that we serve a God who is alive. And so Jesus conquered death. He walked out of the grave. And, he, and, and Paul is giving us an idea of just how many people he appeared to at different times. And so Paul makes it a point, though, to say in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 15, then he appeared to James, then to all the other apostles. And so it would be easy for someone, if they weren't reading that carefully, to think that this is James, the brother of John, one of the sons of Zebedee, or James, son of Alphaeus. But no, this is, this is James, the brother of Jesus, the same James that wrote the letter of James. And if you haven't read the letter of James in a while, or if you are watching this today and you have never read uh, the book of James, take the time to read it. It's not a long book. It's five chapters. Uh, but some of the most practical uh, teaching for Christian living, some of the most straightforward words in all of the New Testament. 
uh, are right there in the book of James. He tackles uh, favoritism and he deals with, uh, you know, taking care of the poor. Uh, he deals with something that's huge for many of us, taming the tongue. You ever said something and wish you could take it back? Well, yeah. If you're alive, then you, if you've lived for any length of time, you probably have experienced that. That, boy, you, something comes out of your mouth and you wish to anything that you could, you could reel that back in, take it back. And James, it so practically deals with those kinds of issues. I want to uh, also look, uh, well, I want to refer to uh, Acts chapter 15. Because in Acts chapter 15, uh, they're dealing with the new church. And they're dealing with how do we reconcile the fact that Jesus died for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. So uh, the Jews were still practicing their Jewish traditions. And so then they were wondering, well, what is it that we're supposed to do with the Gentiles? Are they supposed to be circumcised? Are they supposed to start practicing all of these Jewish traditions? And they're at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, and it's James who steps up after Peter finishes speaking, and James steps up and says, uh, he says, let's not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And so then they outline some basic principles. Don't eat food, sacrifice to idols. And, uh, and so there's some basic principles of Christianity that they, that they set forth, that they say, hey, you Gentiles. And of course, aren't we glad being Gentiles, being Gentile followers, that, that there was somebody who there in the first century stepped forward early in the Christian movement and said, hey, brothers, let's not make it difficult for these Gentiles who are uh, turning to God. And so, so there we see that James now, he has, not, he has, he has left the, the, the camp that said, Jesus is out of his mind. Let's take charge of him because he's, he's embarrassing the family. And then he, he becomes this, this brother in Christ who steps forth at this important meeting of early Christians and says, hey, Guys, I think this is how we need to proceed. And he is, in, in, a, in a sense, he is the architect that sets forth the policy for how Gentile Christians would worship God. That all of these Jewish practices would not be bound on these Gentiles. And so, and so it's, it's a wonderful thing. And that's why I say, no, it's not better late than never. And I got to be honest, that was the original title of this message, okay? It's not better late than never. Because better late than never diminishes the arrival, doesn't it? We say better late than never. Well, it's, it's kind of a snide remark. I mean, it may not be meant that way. It may be meant as a joke in a lot of circles. But it still means that the arrival is somehow less than. And yet, I know there are people that are, that are worshiping with us right now that, that you're going you're, you're gonna to watch this and you yourself are not a baptized believer. And I want you to know 
that it's not better late than never. When you make that decision, you will be arriving right on time. What we pray is that you don't miss out, that you don't fail to make that decision, because th there is a right on time, and then there is a what could have been. And we don't want you to be in the group that could have been. We want you to be, God wants you to be, one of his children, a child of God. And so, now we look at, uh, at Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 19. Paul is writing, uh, well Luke is actually writing, about Paul. And, uh, and, and Luke in, in this, in verse 18, he says Paul and the rest of us. So he's including himself in there. But Acts 21, verses 17 through 19, When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now right there, uh, Luke who wrote the book of Acts, makes it a point to say uh, that Paul and the rest of us, after being greeted warmly, the next day we went to see who, church? We went to see James. So this person that was one of those skeptics, one of those kind of embarrassed family members, is someone who becomes uh, an architect of Gentile Christianity and someone who becomes a person that Paul is, sees as such a pillar of the early church that Paul goes and, and reports to him and says, hey, this is what is going on among the Gentiles. These are the places we've been, James, and these are the people that we have baptized into Christ. And of course, that is so meaningful for James because he's the one who had stood up earlier and said, hey guys, let's not make this difficult. And so that lack of difficulty persists today. You know, that, that it is so easy for you to be a child of God. That if you confess that, hey, Jesus Christ, I believe he is the Son of God, and then we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you walk in what the New Testament calls newness of life. It just means that everything's new from that point forward. That we are new creations once we put on Christ in baptism. And what a wonderful thing that is. Um, now, I just want to say a word about uh, two things really. For those who are children of God, just as James stepped up and kind of defined his role in God's kingdom, what role is it that you, as a baptized believer, as a child of light, what role is it that you need to be embracing? What is it that you've, that's kind of been laid on your heart by God's Spirit that you've kind of just put off? That there's, there's undoubtedly people who will hear this message and that there is something that has that, that you have thought about doing that you've probably you're human and so at some point you might have made an excuse 
Oh, I'm not good enough for that. Uh, I, I'm, I don't have, I'm not sure I've got the gifts necessary for that. Uh, keep in mind uh, that, that God equips people when he calls them. Uh, that, that God will help you refine those gifts, that you will, you will develop the skill set necessary to do whatever it is that God called you to do. God does not call people into a particular role or into a particular ministry of service just to let them fail. That's not God's M.O. God the Father calls people into service and blesses them with the gifts necessary to see the task through. And so, uh, in what way do you need to be like James? And and do you need to step forward and say, yeah, I'm ready to take this on. I'm ready to do this. Maybe it's someone that you need to go talk to. Maybe it's a relationship and you need to go do some fence mending. Maybe it's something that when we all get back together in the church family, that you need to come to, to me or come to one of the, the shepherds and say, hey, I've, I've really got an idea for a ministry, or I, I really think I should be involved in this. Whatever that might be, don't, uh, don't make excuses. Don't put it off. And then a, a final word for those who might be listening to this, uh, who, <laughs> who have not yet made the decision to become a child of God. Just as I mentioned the book of James and, uh, and how he teaches us, how he reminds us as children of God how to behave, uh, something that I often do in my preaching is, <laughs> how do I say this? Uh, I encourage, I implore, I demand <laughs> that... Uh, that children of God act like children of God. I, I've said so many times, you know, we are accountable. If we're baptized believers, we have to act like it. That lost people are going to act like lost people. But that saved people need to act like saved people. People need to see us change. we got to put forth some effort to live to a higher standard. But what I hear sometimes from those who are not part of the body of Christ or those who have been part of the body of Christ and they've stepped away is I'm tired of the hypocrisy. I'm tired of people that worship on Sunday and then go out and they don't live it. Well, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this lately. Now, I'm someone who likes to eat in restaurants. I just, that's something I enjoy. Uh, and so I've tried, been trying to do my part. Two days ago, I ordered takeout meals, lunch, and dinner from two of our local locally owned restaurants and trying to, like a lot of you, try to do my part uh, to help them out. Uh, but there are times when I go to a restaurant and I have a meal that's not everything I want it to be. Uh, maybe maybe that chicken, maybe that burger, maybe whatever it is I'm eating uh, is, is overcooked. And, uh, and maybe there's some, some aspect of that meal or some aspect of that service that wasn't quite what it normally is. 
Never once have I said, I am never going to eat in a restaurant again. You know, because I remember the number of times I've pulled something off of my grill and went to eat it and then realized, oh wow, I left that on the fire a bit too long. And so if I'm going to extend grace to myself, then I'm certainly willing to extend grace to others. And you know, I'm also a sports fan. And from time to time you hear of a college team that goes on probation because of recruiting violations. Or you hear of uh, a, a, a football player like Tom Brady. Uh, several years ago he was suspended for four games because supposedly uh, he uh, asked an equipment manager uh, to take some of the air out of some of the footballs they were going to use for a, a professional football game. And uh, by having a little less air in the ball, he could grip it better, he could throw it better. But it, that never once made me say, well, I'm done. I am never watching football again. I'm still ever bit the football fan that I was, that I am, I am now, that I was then. You know, just uh, this past season, I guess it was, the Houston Astros, it was widely reported that they were involved in a sophisticated scheme to steal, uh, steal the pitching signs of their opponents. Uh, but that never once made me say, well, I'm done. I am not watching baseball again. I was as excited about opening day and, and the brave season uh, as I ever have been. And so I say this, if you're one of those people who says I'm tired of the hypocrisy, remember something. Church people <laughs> that show up to worship and then sin, that doesn't make them hypocrites. That makes them sinners saved by grace. Hypocrisy occurs when someone wags their finger towards someone else about something they're doing, but then they in turn do it themselves. That's hypocrisy. Uh, church people being less than perfect, that just makes them human. And so I encourage you, if you're hearing this message, uh, be careful at what you call hypocrisy. Be careful uh, in, in, in calling out Christians for not living up to the standard when you yourself are willing to extend grace in many other areas of your life. Maybe it's extending the grace to restaurants. Maybe it's extending grace to athletes and sports teams. All the different ways we could think of that you might extend grace and forgiveness toward other aspects of human life but yet you don't extend that same grace to the children of God. Don't let that keep you from becoming a child of God. And so if you're hearing this message this morning, or whenever you might tune in to YouTube to hear this, I hope that you were blessed by it. Grace and peace to you.